Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where you find us uh, fresh back from, well, one of us fresh back from Berlin, and uh, we're all limbering up now for a, a new series of in-person events, which we're delighted to see are happening once again. So I have with me Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and I am Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst. And each week we come together on a podcast to give you our thoughts on some important topics of the moment. And we're going to start this week with hearing Andrew's thoughts, having spent some time mingling with the senior executives of the hotel world at the uh, what was once and soon perhaps again will be the annual hotel conference in Berlin. Um, so, Andrew, it, it seems that from what, what you've written that you had quite an interesting uh, kind of exchange of views, difference of views between some of the senior executives in the uh, in the sector as to how things are going to shape up over the next year or two, and is it is it going to be a golden age or is it going to be an age of people still working from home forever? Yes, well that's the big split, of course. So um, it was encapsulated the difference between Hilton CEO Chris Nasetta and. Uh, Accor CEO Sebastian Bazin um, in terms of their respective views so uh, Nasetta very much on the golden age of travel end and uh, Bazin saying there's going to be a permanent impairment to business travel now I think regular listeners to this podcast will know where we stand on this we are struggling slightly to get um, our heads around the permanent impairment thing I think there is a, a risk I mean uh, one of the things Bazan talked about was, you know, WebEx and Zoom and uh, Teams replacing a lot of business meetings. Um, I think he's right in that they will replace some business meetings, but ironically, I think they will stimulate further meetings because once you talk to somebody um, virtually, you actually want to meet them in the flesh, um, ultimately. And I think um, if we look historically, uh, what we see is that uh, uh, any sort of technological innovation like this has ended up creating more business travel rather than ending business travel so um, we've regularly said this you know video conferencing did not finish business travel the telephone did not finish business travel the fax did not finish business travel zoom and webex and uh, um, et al is uh, they are not going to end business travel well and also if you you go back further broadband was supposed to stop working in offices yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) because we're all going to work from home exactly so i mean i I think we will get back. I mean, the, the big question mark remains how long it's going to be to get back. Um, how, you know, how many years out? We're talking about a couple of years for business travel to, to you know, and, we're, and that is sort of domestic business travel back by the end of next year, international business travel back by the end of the 2023 um we're we're on the bullish end of the spectrum there even Nasetta was um um, caveating things a little bit more talking about three four five years to to get back to full 2019 levels of trading i think it's going to come back better than that um there was um at the event we had uh, we heard from uh, Oxford University economist Linda Yu and what she she was more on the sort of bearish side saying that this pandemic has a ways to run yet and that we're going to face you know more challenges down the track um, 
I, I would disagree with her perspective. I actually think uh, um, we're going to see a much stronger bounce back than many people are allowing for. Now, I think my optimism comes from a bunch of stuff. Firstly, um, you know, we, we, there's a lot of talk about government debt levels, about how bad that is. But actually, the big increase in government debt was following the global financial crisis. The increase uh, in during COVID times has not been as big as the increase during the global financial crisis. Um, and servicing that debt is at an all-time low. Now, this could shift radically as inflation gets a grip, and I think that's one of the things to, to worry about um, if inflation comes and we get interest rate rises. But I think... Uh, central bankers are you know are getting more and more dovish um about interest rate rises i think we're it's going to be a while before we see those those rates going up two three four years before they start really going up and you, you, if you look at uh you know in terms of that underlying demand picture we've got a combination in terms of corporates which are doing fantastically well um, corporate optimism is at all-time highs um the uh, position of consumers we know consumers have built up um, significant reserves during the covid period but also now we're entering a period where we're seeing record wage increases so uh, i mean in the uk it's nearly nine percent they went up in the quarter between april to june according to the government statistics um, and in terms of corporate optimism you, you look at uh, ihs market um, their uh, pmi uh, index and that that hit a record high in may um, um you know um the, the beat the previous record which was back in 1994 so you know it, it is phenomenally good in terms of outlook right now um and it's very difficult to see why that won't translate into incredible demand um for our sector as we remove the supply shock issues um which is the restrictions and as they come off i mean the the, the only thing i would caveat is um you know uh, how long it will take before they before governments uh, finally you know uh, let go so i think the optimism is there if you look at somewhere like denmark which uh, said right we're completely out of this now we're getting rid of all restrictions they have no masks they have no vaccine passports it's back to completely life as normal in denmark um and ironically sweden's, sweden's going to be happening the same towards the end of this month everything yeah sweden's getting there yeah. i run i was about to say ironically sweden which is you know didn't have the lockdowns that denmark had at the beginning of this crisis they've actually uh, been behind uh, denmark in terms of release but i suspect we'll, we're going to see that in in scandinavia and i hope that spreads you know um across europe um because the existing uh restrictions look um odder and odder as as things get better and better um there is probably going to be a bit of an upsurge in uh, um infections but provided this doesn't translate into hospital admissions we shouldn't worry too much about that and we also need to be careful how we watch those hospital admissions because that data can be distorted because in the uk uh, more than half the people who are going to hospital um, and reported as a hospital admission due to covid are actually people turning up with say a broken leg or a heart condition and then they're then tested for covid and find out that they've got covid and that's counted as a covid admission well for my money they're not going to hospital because <laughs> of how badly they've been infected with covid and that's the thing we've got to worry about how covid dries itself and people suffering from covid end up in hospital um that isn't 
doesn't so far seem to be the case and despite all the you know the new variants so obviously we've had the delta there's this new one out uh, originating in Colombia called the mu variant um, but so far so good um, vaccines are still effective at preventing hospitalizations and now I think one of the other things you learned a bit more about in Berlin was quite how the attitude of the private equity investors is towards hotels is is changing or or has has nuanced a bit over the uh, the last yeah. couple of years yeah i i i think um one of the most interesting set of comments came from Cody Bradshaw uh, from Starwood Capital, and he looked at. Uh, he was sort of explaining how, uh, you know, how well Starwood Capital had done by divesting itself of. Uh, um, he said eight billion uh, US dollars worth of of hotel property in the run up to COVID, not because they saw COVID coming, but because, uh, as he said, you know, there had been an incredible bull cycle in in our sector. Um, in terms of consecutive um, rev par increases, and you know that they, 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 they began selling off for two, three, four years ago because they they feared um, that this was going to you know be coming to an end, and it was a good point. You know, we were obviously getting close to the high, and so they were so were exiting some of those investments. But what I found really interesting was um, a he's he's clearly in buy mode. He was you know engage in talking down how difficult it is and how you know discounts are possibly still on the way um but b how he was talking about those assets he hasn't that that, that starwood capital haven't divested so it was intriguing how he explained the private equity approach to if they've got a portfolio of assets which have been uh, have been shot to bits by by the trading um, during COVID, he said, "Look, um, what's happened here? In our traditional models, we look at internal rates of return. That just doesn't apply anymore. We just that's just gone out the window. Forget about that. What we're now looking at is net overall profit. So, in a way, all of those portfolios they've had, they might have had them already for three, four, five years. Um, but actually, now as we come out into this recovery period, it's almost like they're new acquisitions, mm. and they're looking at them again, and they're just holding them um, and and maximising profit. And that could well be a, a three or four year hold period. That kind of explains, um, he said, why there hasn't been the um, distress levels that um, people were anticipating because a lot of people um, a lot of companies like uh, Starbuck Capital have simply uh, refinanced and are hanging on for a few more years to to, to, get, to get that return they need um, and, the, and the other piece I think would come, come out of that panel was um, that the distress that's out there is is fairly hidden because it's it's typically buried within the the smaller um, owner operated players um, who are struggling to get bank refinancing and now they're having to have those hard conversations typically within the family about exiting the business um, and um, how you you get on and 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 make good on that and we are seeing some distress pricing in in that but those are often private acquisitions so it's 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 not uh, easy to sort of see the the public data on there uh, on that so uh, i think uh, we're going to see uh, uh, perhaps a lot more of those sort of deals um, as we get into the recovery and as those capital 
stacks in the in particularly in the in the smaller privately held businesses um, come under real pressure as lenders won't advance any more money and they have to do something radical to to fix the problem i think we're going to see a, a a good deal more transactions along that basis and we're looking at probably into early part of next year when that starts motoring now let's talk about the cancel culture the last uh, 18 months or so we've all had to get used to making plans and then having to change them at the last minute for a whole variety of reasons lockdowns relatives catching covid all sorts um and of course that's led us led us as consumers to get more used to um making arrangements and then cancelling them or postponing them or changing them later um you know on the side of the a lot of the hotel and tour companies the the companies have been desperate to get cash in so they'd rather you make a reservation and put your money down and offer you the option to uh, to rearrange later because frankly they just need your money in the bank um, but uh, it has become this this is kind of fed into what was already perhaps a, a growing issue in the hotel sector which was uh, guests who uh, cancel at the last minute uh, make they make a reservation and uh, they cancel at the last minute and hotels are left with unsold rooms or rooms to sell at the very last minute at uh, perhaps some kind of a lower rate uh, perhaps using an OTA or whatever uh, and speaking of OTAs they have also kind of started in some ways feeding into the problem by persuading their listings to offer um, free cancellations um, now as is extreme this sort of has led to a situation where certainly some of the younger generations stand accused of perhaps uh, reserving three different hotels for a weekend away and deciding nearer the time which one they're going to actually use and binning the other two um, but obviously that doesn't help the hotel the two hotels who have been told late on that uh, they no longer have any guests for that room they thought they had them for so it's a bit of an issue it's time to perhaps retrain the uh, hotel guest to uh, put up or shut up or to commit um, and maybe also it's time for hotels to uh, get a bit more ruthless about this and say well either you're paying that price and you're paying it now as you make your reservation or if you want flexibility you make a commitment but it's actually it's at a premium yeah uh why has it taken so long i'm not sure it's a case of retraining the consumer i think you offer the consumer what she or he wants um and and that you make it clear they're going to pay for it so we've had this on budget airlines for for decades um since the advent of budget airlines it's well understood if you want a flexible fare you pay a lot more money and if you want to the most bargain basement fare then you bear the risk um of not you know of not being able to to make that journey and you either insure against that risk or you simply suck it up as as you know part of the part of the fare so i mean um it, it's not difficult to do this um i think to be fair to hoteliers it has been tricky because they have much more complex distribution models than um, typical budget airlines uh, but they are beginning to get to grips with that and they're beginning to sort that out now in the case of the smaller chains um, there's a bunch of um, outside agencies which are helping them do this i mean you had a good chat with avio on this one chris i mean they're you know one of the leaders in this market helping you know uh improve the booking systems for the the, the smaller and mid-sized chains and the global major hotel brands are have indeed sort of raised their game in this quite a way um they still got a, a way to go i think i 
took a look in my comment on on your piece um i looked at um what this all means for how the otas are going to come out of um this downturn and whether it's going to be as it's historically been with them soaring away because uh um the the booking engines and the 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 way hotel companies uh, have such a complicated booking strategy that they've been left behind in the wake of the otas who have a much more uh straightforward and and uh, clear consumer offer i think this time it could well be different um i'm not alone in thinking that uh, I, a bernstein analysts at bernstein took a look at um, how they see expedia and booking holdings um, and they've become quite bearish on the outlook for these otas they're saying the the they identified three drivers of growth in revenue in the last decade that otas have tapped into um so one is the intermediary versus direct and they suggest that actually that battle is going to be won by uh, direct rather than intermediaries but actually much bigger and a more important when we obsess about this it, this direct versus intermediary battle um, but more important in terms of mark in in terms of the the revenue growth that these these otas has been market share gains um which is often at the expense of smaller um otas and um um overall online penetration um so um and both of those uh well in fact their market share is going to go into reverse um suggests bernstein and the online penetration is going to slow dramatically net net what this means for the otas is their outlook is mm. uh is a lot more subdued than it has been um so they're saying the 10 years ahead for otas is looking um decidedly anemic um against the sort of double digit growth we've seen and, and investors in OTAs have come to expect so I think um, this what this means I think is a OTA is going to be on the back foot um, which is good news for hoteliers um, and also uh, I think from a wider issue in terms of the stock market there's going to be an almighty re-rating now we've talked about how inflated we think the share price of Airbnb is but we um, are, I think the share price of booking holdings is is inflated too and they're all going to come back down to earth over the next few years in my view and uh, a view shared with Bernstein as well I think right now so our next topic is to look at the uh, booming s supply pipeline of uh, for hotels in Europe uh, STR have just put uh, uh, well they monitor this thing all the time but they've just put out some figures noting that they reckon there'll be more than a hundred thousand new rooms added to Europe's hotel stock this year and they think there'll be a similar number added in 2022 some of the ones from this year obviously are delayed openings from uh, the last year or so um, but the question now arises uh, to what extent are the, these sort of large numbers of additions to the the hotel stock going to hit revenues hit rev par uh, in particular towns and cities and regions where there are going to be a lot of new stock coming in um, or will this new stock simply flush out some of the kind of tired older more family owned businesses um with the brands continuing their onward march um europe's still a long way behind america in terms of the penetration of uh, brands 
Uh, absolutely and i think that latter point is critical um which this these figures from str don't really capture which is the exit of these what well, the americans would describe as mom and pop but the the family-owned smaller hotels individual hotels uh, and whitbread has done the best study i've ever seen of that a few years ago and they found actually there was as many going out of the market in terms of room numbers there was as much um, going out of the market as coming in through the new branded budget supply because there was this constant talk of oh we're going to have oversupply um, this is a big challenge and you know this is a critical thing in the hotel business has always been that demand supply balance piece now I think there are some markets where I have uh, concerns I think Germany is perhaps the um, in terms of the major markets in in Europe I think Germany is where I'm most concerned uh, I think there's a number of factors here uh, th th there is a question mark still on you know what's going to happen to the big fares are we going to see the volume come back now I think our position our hotel analyst has been yet yeah, that they, they are coming back there is some doubt on that um, in elsewhere but I, th I think we will see those mostly come back um, but there is a huge amount of supply going into those markets and they're, they're already it, it's those uh, full service sort of four starry come three starry um, hotels which are going to be most under pressure they're typically under invested looking a bit tired and the, the shiny new economy hotel stock coming in from the likes of Whitbread's Premier Inn and Motel One and Holiday Inn Express and Hampton um, all of that stuff I think is going to uh, put a lot of pressure on those uh, domestic regional chains in Germany so I think that's going to be one to watch how that how that plays out uh, elsewhere I think I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic I think we do need this new stock coming in I think it's a good news story overall from the the hotel market perspective because it represents a institutionalization of of the hotel market more professional managers more professional money being invested um, and I think that overall helps the status of of the the market in terms of governments listening to it in terms of its appeal as somewhere to go and um, base your career uh, all of these good things um, um, happen as a result of having more institutional money coming into the market which this is being we you know which this is a clear uh, sign these SDR figures are clear sign that we're we are institutionalizing the hotel market right now let's move on to our awards for this week uh no stars and five star awards andrew was no star going to who's boom, boom. it is medical theater <laughs> so um so um, I don't mean the operating theatre. I mean the whole charade around things that we have to do to to fight COVID. Um, now I'm a sort of slightly ambivalent on this one because at one level I'd rather have it if it means we can actually open. I'd rather have the the charade of putting on a mask and you know. So running around Berlin, for example, um, you had to have a mask on unless you were eating mm -hmm. and drinking. Well, I'm not sure how much the virus um, <laughs> obeys those rules. And as soon as you take your mask off in the evening to have a beer or uh, and a few snacks, and and you're surrounded by people, how much the 
virus takes notice of that I, I, I am somewhat skeptical I mean there is evidence from the behavioral um, scientists that actually it because you've got a mask on it makes you more fearful and behave with a bit more decorum when you you meet people so you're not sort of hugging them and all that kind of stuff so I get that to a, a point but really I mean you know almost everybody I, I talked to in Berlin was double vaccinated um, do we really need that and we've also got this ongoing thing about return travel so that going into Germany I didn't need any form of test because I'm double vaccinated coming out of Germany I had to get a piece uh, a test um, a lateral flow test was good enough if I did it with an external agency um, um, to get on the plane and then I had to have a day two test and, and it's comical because most people are even if they do the day two test they're not even bothering to submit the results and nobody's chasing up and so it, it, it is all theatre this uh, and I really don't see I mean, it's just but, but it's a tax and it, it's, it's actually the worst of all worlds in terms of tax because governments don't get the revenue it's just an extra payment which is necessary so I paid the best part of £100 um, to do my test to get on the plane and my test on day two um to, to to no really impact really um so and you know if a family of five that's 500 pounds that's a you know a significant extra on your bill not to mention all the tension around that and i talked to a number of people who had did go away over the summer took their their whole tribe overseas and the hassle factor of getting those tests done was quite nerve-wracking because if little johnny or little jemima suddenly failed the test what on earth do you do do you stay there with them um and isolate it's a it's a right old palaver isn't it so um there's that risk factor so this this medical theater piece i just hope we're going to finally see it off over the next few months and be more Danish. Do, do <laughs> go Danish um, and and just Excellent. bin the lot. Yeah, it's time in to my the view. Mask, maybe. And your five star award this week. I think you are giving Andrew to someone who's who's raising wages. Indeed. Well, this, yes. So uh, over at Costa Coffee, they're uh, acknowledging they have a problem in in hiring people, so they're putting up the pay, mm. which oh, a shock horror. <laughs> what a great idea! Yeah. <laughs> market economics. You know, somehow market economics works everywhere except for in the labour market. But um, if you're having trouble hiring people, you might have to improve paying conditions. Costa have acknowledged that they're putting it up. Okay, a modest five percent. Um, in some cases, a bit more for the more experienced baristas um but that this is a necessary thing and we're going well, to have to see it with that. the truck, truck drivers as well is, oh yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's mm. a good thing overall because what we're going to have is, is is a better career for people and people look at this again okay this isn't too bad i'm getting paid pretty well and there's a better career structure in place for me i think we're going to have to start doing that for these sectors which uh, of which hospitality is one of the biggest uh, which haven't treated people and their staff particularly well we have this endless you know uh, the, the number of ceos that get on the platform and talk you know sweetly about how they're going to uh, you know people it's a people business and how they need to treat their people well and and don't actually pay them very well well actually guess what market power is now moving back into the hands of the workers and they are going to have to be paid and treated a bit better um, which I think overall although it's going to make it's going to introduce a sea of challenges for operators overall I think it's going to be a net positive for our happiness. industry we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>